You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. So I'm so glad to see all of you here this morning. Uh, um, This uh, month has been very interesting so far. I really feel and the elders feel that God is up to something here at Westside. Uh, It's a year for us to launch ahead. If you're newer uh, to to Westside, uh, we wish you a very warm welcome, by the way. Thanks for being here. (laughs) But if you're newer to Westside, we want to just encourage you uh, to... Um, if you're thinking about making this your church home, just uh, jump in, jump in with both feet. A friend of mine once said, if you want to really count for the kingdom uh, of God, find out what God is doing and jump in, you know, and give it your all and be a part of it. Uh, Some of us try to do everything. We can't do everything. Uh, Find out what God wants you to do and do it with with everything you got. And uh, so... um, we're headed for a lot of surprises. We're, in a couple months, we're going to be meeting at the fairgrounds for our Easter service. Um, I'm actually expecting between six and 800 people there. And um, last year at Easter here, just on our three services here, uh, three in a row, we had, uh, I think, four, four people less than 600. And so a lot of times people don't think that West Side uh, is, you know, just uh, uh, not that large is better than small. They both have their advantages and disadvantages, but uh, we, we are moving into an arena as a church where we're going to have more impact as, as a church into this community and around the world, and we are doing that, but God's taking us up to our next step. God is taking you to your next step and your next level in Him, and we need to trust Him, and we need to depend upon Him like we never have before. And I encourage you to take your next step in God. What is that? Find out what that is and take it. And uh, God never wants us to be static. He never wants us to uh, uh, just kick back on our rocking chair and watch the corn grow and just hang on until Jesus comes. And so that's what I'm going to preach about this morning. Uh, Our theme this year is Go Therefore. Uh, It's part of the Great Commission when Jesus said, uh, Go Therefore and and, uh, take this good message of the kingdom to every people group, to all nations, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and uh, um, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and his promise was that he would be with us even to the end of the age. We're not at the end of the age yet because we're still here, so he's with us. And so those are good uh, promises to take in there. And um, so I'm encouraged about that. I spoke about that a couple weeks ago, then last week, Ivor... Lewis was here, and he challenged us uh, as well on this theme of going, and he spoke to us about hearing uh, the voice of God. I encourage you to get that if you didn't uh, hear that. But this morning, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis, way back in the beginning, to Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to catch a little story there before Abraham comes into play. Genesis 12, which I'll actually be speaking about next week. Uh, is the Abrahamic covenant, where God calls Abraham. And so that's next week. I'm just giving you a a little uh, precursor, a a little uh, preamble, so to speak, for next week's talk, 
because there's something very, very important here I want to bring to our attention, and I want to take uh, the morning to massage that in. Is that all right? There's a, a message for you this morning that God wants to speak to you, and I want to take our time on that. We're going we're gonna to take the next 25 minutes or so and, and um, talk about this thing. So, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts this morning to what your word says and to what you're speaking to us this morning. Father, I thank you and I praise you for honoring your promises, honoring your word. Thank you for bringing us here today. Father, I pray uh, that today would be pivotal. It would be foundational in the lives of many people here this morning. And for the rest of us, God, I pray, God, that you would just uh, take us to that next uh, level of commitment this morning and saying, yes, I'm on the right track. Yes, thank you, Lord, and I'm going to continue on. Encourage us today, Holy Spirit. Strengthen us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, in Genesis 11, starting in verse 27, this is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram. Abram's name had not been changed to Abraham yet. Uh, Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of many nations. And there's a, a difference in there when God came and changed his name. Now he's called Abram. Uh, Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. Remember, Lot was Abram's nephew. All right? Uh, so Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Now, the other, uh, the other thing to point out here is Haran was, was Abram's brother. And a little bit later in this passage, they're going to come to a town named Haran. And it's confusing, all right, because Abraham's brother's name is Haran, the town's name is Haran. So you people who choose to name your kids after cities, it calls, causes confusion, all right? I know there's a lot of Dallases out there and, uh, and Dakotas and, you know, all this. Please don't name your kid Salt Lake City or <laughs> Fresno or something like that, or it'd really be, it'd be really confusing. <laughs> Yeah, don't name your kid Placerville. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Her name was later changed to Sarah. And the name of, of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah was her sister Iscah and were daughters of Nahor's brothers Haran. But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. That goes into the promise that God gave to Abraham and Sarah. One day... Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarah, the son of his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans, and he was headed for the land of Canaan. Where was he headed? For the land of Canaan. That's the land that the Israelites eventually settled in, the promised land. All right? So Terah was Abram's father. They left Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. That's what it says here. We don't know why. We don't know if God spoke to Terah because it doesn't say. God spoke to Abram later. We'll see, we'll see that next week. But here, um, for some reason, uh, Terah uh, felt like he wanted to move and head toward Canaan. We don't know exactly why. It doesn't say. But they stopped at Haran and settled there. 
Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. Terah wanted to take his family from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. Terah came to Haran and settled there. He wanted to go farther, but he didn't make it. So, I want to talk to us about this morning about this thing about settling. And I want to talk about that word, settling. The word settler is not a, a bad word. Uh, our country was settled by people who chopped down forests and killed wild beasts and plowed fields and took stones out of the dirt and, and uh, planted crops and, and made a way. Uh, we have a, a wonderful uh, spirit in this country, uh, a wonderful determining spirit, uh, uh, but I would say that kind of settler, when we say settler, that's not the settler I'm talking about. That kind of settler is more like a pioneer. That's a great thing. That's a good thing. I'm talking about people who intend to go here but stop here because that's good enough. People who hear from God to go here and they settle here. They settle for less than God's best. Jesus said, I came to give you life and I came to give it to you more abundantly. Where is that abundant life? This was our old life. Jesus promised us abundant life, but we're happy with just so-so life because we don't have the problems that we used to. Things are just kind of comfortable. So I'm just going to uh, settle here instead of pushing forward to God's highest for me. Does that make sense? All right, that's what we're talking about uh, this morning. So the kind of a settler that, that goes in and pioneers, I would call that an active occupation. There's nothing wrong with active occupation, with actively engaging in your area that God has given you to settle in. But not just sitting back and ho-hum, this is boring, and I'm just going to hang on until Jesus comes. Like there's a popular poster, uh, some of you... Older folks remember as a little cat on a branch, a little kitten, and it says, hang in there, baby. And uh, some people just hold on, eking out their meager existence, and they're satisfied with that. God wants to say to us this morning, don't be satisfied with the mediocre. Don't be satisfied with just getting halfway where he's called you to. He called you out of Egypt into the promised land. Don't settle in the desert. Two weeks ago, we talked about you've gone around this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and move. And so this is uh, what we're uh, speaking about this morning, taking a long time to massage this in because God is always about increase. He is always about increase. Next week when we get into um, Genesis 12, he's going to tell Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. It was God's plan from the very beginning for his kingdom to affect the whole earth. And so God is always about fruitfulness. He's always about multiplication. The parables in the New Testament about where the guy gives... Uh, people talents, one five talents, one two talent, another guy one talent. That's a weight, a measurement of gold or silver. It's a lot of money. Uh, but we confuse that word talent with our talents and abilities, but it works. God gave you a package of giftings. Uh, he gave you a certain personality, experiences, family, upbringing, 
Uh, he's given you the Spirit of God. He's given you this whole unique gift. And each one of you is a gift, the Bible says. Each one of you has a gift to give to others. And we use that gift to serve others so that God gets the glory. God is always about us using that. And those parables are directed toward believers, not unchristian, non-Christians. Those parables are directed toward believers. What did you do with what I gave you is what God says. I think this is uh, very good. So uh, why do we settle? How do we settle? Do we settle for a mediocre marriages? Ho-hum relationships? Just doing an okay, nominal job in parenting? The minimum we live in a minimum standard society. We really do. I used to be a high school principal. I never once had a kid come into my uh, office and say, um, what is the maximum number of units I need to graduate? No one ever said that. <laughs> we always want to know just enough to get by. And um, are we stewarding well the job he's given us to do? He's given each of you a job. Some of you have more profile than others. Some of you have... Uh, are, are seen by others but just like the two by fours or the two by sixes in these walls they're holding this building up those are important things those are pillars and some of you are pillars in the house of god you just don't have that much of a uh, 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 visibility but don't give up don't stop doing what god has called you to do um don't give up living the abundant life that he's called us to do. Have we settled? That's the question for us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, talking about Abram when he left. I'm, I'm giving a little bit more of a prelude to next week. Hebrews, there's, there's a lot about faith. At the beginning of chapter 11, there's a, what we call a definition of faith. faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is this thing that's required by every believer. And uh, sometimes people say, you just got to have faith. As long as we know in our mind, and they know what they're saying, faith in God, not just faith in faith. There's, that's kind of silly. But if we have faith in the Word of God, faith is actually, another definition of it is faith is believing and acting on God's Word. God said it, so I believe it, and now I'm going to act as if it's already happened, even though I haven't seen it happened yet. That is faith. That's why it's called a walk of faith. That's why we call this our faith. That's why we pray by faith. That's why we give our offerings by faith. That's why we lay hands on the sick and pray for them by faith. It's a cornerstone. It's a foundational uh, elementary value of Christians. We received him by faith, so we walk in him by faith, Paul says. It's, faith is a cornerstone. So this faith who um, is attributed to Abraham here. He's called the father of our faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And I'm telling you, you may have a little glimpse of where God is taking you. He may have given you a promise. He may have given you just an inkling of where he's taking you. 
You can see your kids growing up and serving God. You can see yourself uh, leading a small Bible study at work. You can see yourself engaging the neighborhood uh, through acts of kindness and service and drawing them and sharing Jesus with them. You can see uh, yourself doing little pictures of success, pictures of promises that God's given you. You can see those, but we don't really know the end. So we take this walk. It's a step of faith. Step the righteous steps or the steps of a righteous man and woman are ordered of the Lord. We may not see in completeness the end, but we take we can see the next step that God has for us. Many of you, if you just think of those um, coloring book uh, drawings that you had to do when you were a kid, uh, connect the dots where you draw, you know, and you're learning how to count, and then you fill in, and pretty soon you have no idea what it is, and then when you're all done, you see a picture there. Some of you are in the middle of that. You don't know, you don't know what the picture is yet, but you're still following God. I want to say, keep on keeping on. Have this active occupation, this active uh, participation in the plan of God in your life. Don't just sit and watch the show. Get out of the stands. Get on the field and play the game, uh, God is saying to us. So Abraham went. He didn't know where he was going, but he just followed God. He said, God said, I'll show you. You get going and get moving. And that's what he's done for a lot of us. You love me. We follow him. Get going. And we don't know where it is going to end up, but I'm going to connect these dots. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to obey him when he tells me to do this. Then I'll obey him, obey him when he tells me to do this until uh, the final day when we open our eyes in his presence. Now, verse 9. I want us to get this. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. In other words, just because you reach a promise and you see a fulfillment of a promise, we don't just rest. Because Abraham reached the land that God called him, and even when he was there, he still lived by faith. I love that. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. I love that. He understood that he was a pilgrim. What was he looking forward to? And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, even though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there was no way to count them. Isn't that great? Abraham, the father of our faith, God spoke to him, and he obeyed. And then he still didn't know where he was going. But he obeyed, and God fulfilled uh, his promise. My prayer is that we will be a people that hear from God. We obey in this walk of faith. We obey, even though we don't know the complete picture. And we still follow him. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about a church that settled. A great church. A church that was on the cutting edge of counting for the kingdom of God, a church that was involved in the politics of its city, a church that cared for the poor, a church that was commended uh, for doing many, many good things. That, that church is in the city of Ephesus, present-day Turkey. 
Uh, It was one of the churches that Paul planted a church in. At that time, in the first century, it was a very large city, 500,000 people. That is half a million people in the old days with none of the modern conveniences like we have. That is a big city. And um, they had been a key city in the Roman Empire for over 200 years at the crossroads of trade trade routes. They were politically important. Uh, they had huge pagan worship and, and occultic temples going on. In the middle of that, the church in Ephesus thrived. And they stood out even brighter because of the darkness around them. I'll tell you what, our culture's light is getting dimmer by the day if it's not all the way dark already. And that means when we shine for Jesus, our light uh, gets brighter and brighter in the midst of the darkness. Uh, Paul had his uh, the longest ministry in one spot at Ephesus over two and a half years, and uh, the church at Ephesus was a base church, sending out people, uh, uh, ministry, impacting other places, resourcing uh, financially other 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 places, and Paul's ministry. And uh, it was so important that there was a letter written to it. Uh, the book of Ephesians. That's the letter to the church in Ephesus. So about 45 years later, after this church was a powerhouse of a church, Jesus wrote them a letter. And that letter is recorded in the book of Revelation. John had the vision, and in his vision, uh, Jesus uh, dictated to him Seven letters to seven churches. One of those churches was Ephesus. So let's read the letter from Jesus to the church at Ephesus 45 years later. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Those are good commendations. If you were brought up here and we had it inscribed on a plaque or something... And we gave you, whereas on this day you did good deeds and you, you, know, you, to, you tolerated no wicked thing and you tested the claims of those who say, you know, all these commendations here. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Wow. They were commended for their good deeds. They were known for their good deeds. They were known for their hard work. They were known for their perseverance and pushing through and pressing on and hanging on. They were known for not tolerating wickedness in their midst. They tested the claims of people, false apostles, false prophets. 
tested them according to and weighed them according to the word of God and by the Holy Spirit's supernatural discernments found out whether they were of God or not. They endured hardship. In the first century, business owners were pretty much ostracized. They were excluded from any of the guilds, which were the predecessors for hundreds of years of you know, modern-day unions and things like that. They were uh, excluded from commerce and trading within the guild, and, and uh, it was very difficult for them economically, and they were shunned in the marketplace and shunned uh, socially. They did not grow weary. They hung on. They kept on. Those are great commendations. They were Christians. They were believers. They had a history of a strong and healthy and impactful church. This was 40 years, 45 years later after Paul planted them. This was now nearing the end of the first century when John, who's an aged apostle, is writing this letter through uh, the dictation of Jesus. Jesus gave him this revelation. They, had, they believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They believed that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They accepted Him as their Lord and Savior. They were baptized. They were living for Him. They were doing the right things. They were hanging on. They were doing all that kind of stuff. But Jesus said they lost their first love. They settled there. They're on their way from Ur of Chaldeans to the land of Canaan and they settled in Haran. God gave them a remedy. He said, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the work she did at first. I love when God shows us where we're at and reveals to us who we are. He says, okay, this is the way to get back on track. Here's how you do it. So the first one is remember. Look how far you've fallen. He said that, that means remember. Uh, the King James says, uh, remember from the height, heights from which you've fallen. Um, a few years ago, I was at a prayer meeting, and uh, I think we were, it was early morning prayer at our church, and we were sort of doing individual prayer, or the, uh, where sometimes we wouldn't be up here praying together, we'd just get in chairs and have a few moments of individual prayer, and, and uh, I just, I don't recall what I was praying about, uh, but I, I wanted to know uh, the question just came up, God, where would I be if I didn't have you? Because I had never robbed a bank or been part of a drug cartel or had my picture in the post office or anything like that. And a lot of Christians who grow up in the church, you know, they don't have these great, fantastic testimonies. By the way, young people and people who grew up in the church, the greatest testimony you have, you can have, is growing up knowing Jesus from the time you were little growing up victoriously through old age. Uh, Timothy was commended uh, by Paul, knowing he knew the scriptures from a young, as a young child, and he went through, he didn't miss a beat, and uh, kept on serving Jesus. Um, but when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, it's usually like, I picture it like getting a little thumb drive for your computer. God like puts it in the side of my brain, and like, like this. All these things, it just instantly I know them. It's like downloaded. And so as a foster kid, I'd been in a lot of different homes. Uh, my mom was um, 
her friends uh, in Santa Barbara in the late 50s and early 60s became authentic uh, hippies uh, in the late 60s, if, if my mom had lived. And the first foster home we went to, they were he was high society, publisher of the Santa Barbara newspaper and country club, and could have gone that direction if we stayed there. And then another one, we had lived with a family. I'm convinced they only had sixth grade educations, and probably on weekends they put white things on their head and went out uh, and burn crosses. I, I'm actually not kidding. I really think that that was the case. Uh, another, my, I went back to live with my family in New York, and and uh, typical Italian family and typical whispers of some of the cousins are in the mafia. Uh, I was there. We were there for a while. We could have stayed there. Um, all these possibilities. Then we went into a family that he was a pastor of a church in Santa Barbara, and and all these pictures, God said, you could have been stopped here, 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 but this is where I wanted you. And you could have been totally messed up, way worse than you already are. And uh, <laughs> it's like, and I just began to thank God. Thank you for watching out over me. Somebody somewhere was praying for me. We had found a Bible from my mom, a Gideon Bible, where she signed in the back page that she received Christ. Uh, right before she died, and so maybe we, maybe she started praying for us, and God honored her prayers. I don't, we don't really know. Remember from where you've fallen. Remember what it used to be like. Where, where were you before? What did God do in your life? How grateful were you for that? And, and um, ask him for a revelation of where you'd be today without Jesus. It'd, it'd be very eye-opening if he answers you like he answered me. and Have I lost my warmth toward Jesus? Have I lost my love and affection for the body of Christ? And I used to love spending time in his word and in prayer and listening to worship music and spending time with him. Have I lost that? And have I lost my sensitivity to sin when I used to sin, it would grieve me to the core. Have I lost that sensitivity to sin? That's what he, God says. Remember. Think back. Where, what, what did you used to do? What, what did you used to think like when you first came to me? Do you still do that? And then he says, repent. And repent is, is really easy. If, if you need to repent from something, I would just have a word of instruction for you. Stop it. Don't stop repenting. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. There's no excuse for it for believers. If he's, if, if he's called you out of darkness into light and you continue sinning, stop it. He says, remember what you were like when you first came to me. Then, then repent. Stop doing what you're doing and get back in the... In, the third part is return to what you did at first. Get back to where you were then, when you were on track. You've gotten off track, get back on track, is what he's saying. I love this, so simple. Uh, the Life Application Bible Commentary um, says it very well. Simply stated, they were not having personal fellowship with Christ, walking and sharing with him like they once did. They were not as attached to Christ as they had been. They were more attached to other things 
and other involvements of life. They loved their church, and they had the right beliefs, and they were even ready to fight for the truth of Christ. But they did not love Christ. Not in a personal and intimate way. Not to the degree that they walked and shared with Him previously. Fellowshiped and communed with Him all throughout the day. Not in the sense that they took blocks of time and got alone with Him and prayed and shared with Him. They lost it. So, here's the deal. Ephesus, a base church, powering for God. 45 years later, they settled. It just got kind of routine. The passion, the love for God, the love for others, the love for His Word wasn't there anymore. My prayer is that will not happen to Westside. That will not happen to us. That's a big deal. My prayer is that it will not happen to me. My prayer is that it will not happen to you. How about you? Are you doing a lot of things right? Are you doing the right thing? Are you working hard for the kingdom? But just going through the motions. Jesus said, if you don't repent, I will remove your lampstand from you. What that means, a lampstand is what you put your light up on. It's profile. It's where people can see the light. I'll take away your light in this region and give it to somebody else who will serve me with their whole heart. That's our light. It's our influence. It's our testimony. Have we settled? Have we just gotten busy with life. Think back to the beginning. Think back to the beginning. What did you see? What did God show you? What was that dream He gave you? What were the things that you longed for? What were you willing to do for Him then? And if the answer is, I think I've settled, then the remedy is, remember that, repent from that, and return to what you used to do and how you used to behave. It's not a message of condemnation. It's a corrective word, yes, from the Lord. Some of us are doing that. Some of us are passionately in love with Jesus, more so than we were yesterday and more so than we were last year. Keep on. Don't give up. Don't settle. For those of you that this morning you realize you may have settled, repent, stop that. Get back to where you were. Get back on track today. That's a message for us. I believe we're going to need it as a church. Uh, God has a lot for us uh, ahead. And this is all, is, this message is contained in the totality of his word. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. This isn't a condemning word this morning. This is an encouraging word. Let's get back on track. Let's not forget where we've come from. And let's continue on by the grace of God until Jesus returns. Amen. Amen. Father, thanks. Thank you for your word for us this morning. I pray that nobody would have any ounce of condemnation upon them. Lord, I pray that we would have lots and lots of conviction if necessary and uh, lots and lots of affirmation if we're on the right track. God, we love you. We know that you love us. We want to honor you and shine brightly for you. In Jesus' name, amen.